0: I feel like the more I have worked on, um, preparing myself for success in American corporate setting, the more distant I've become culturally from the places where I was born and grew up, right? I'm presently in Northern California and now the world has shifted and changed. But when I entered the tech world, you had to be here to get in and fit in and that meant being in the context of california you know very distant from the puerto rican dominican west indian west african communities that i grew up in right i can't get my oxtail on demand here right (laughs) i'm lucky if i can find green platanos when i go to the market they're all machucao by the time i get there right like and forget it when i have a craving for pasteles like finding the platano leaves and the papers and the things that i need to roll them up also a challenge, right? When I walk down these streets, I don't hear salsa, I don't hear house, I don't hear reggaeton, right? Those are the contributions of my people and my ancestors, but you wouldn't know that in California. And so I show up in this place where, you know, in order to thrive, and be in a position to provide for the family, to send money back to Puerto Rico after every hurricane and earthquake and everything else that comes up, right? I need to be here moving and shaking and hobnobbing with people that are very different than me, don't have the context for how I grew up or where I grew up. And in many ways, I have to find ways of influencing them and getting them to see me as just another relatable human being who is just out here trying
1: to thrive. Dímelo mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Quién It It Is podcast brought to you by Plural. On this podcast, you know the mission is to redefine professionalism. So every week we have a new guest where we explore the conflict between authenticity and professionalism. Over the past few weeks, this podcast has been growing so quickly. And in fact, some of the episodes have even been going viral to the point where Spotify even named the previous episode, the one where I said I quit my job at TikTok. Yeah, that one. Best episodes by the Spotify editors themselves. Now, the clip you just heard in this week's intro is with our guest Luis Baez. Before getting into the full episode, let me give you a little quick bio on Luis. So Luis is an entrepreneur, sales executive, and unwavering optimist. Surprising to me, the spotlight isn't his thing. He's one of those people who likes to work hard behind the scenes to make the talented people that he's working with look really good in front of audiences. His ability to build genuine trust and help people around him shine, why he's been recruited to work for some of the most influential companies in history, including LinkedIn, Google, Uber, and Tesla. See, no one's ever taught him how to sell or be an executive, but putting himself out there is just what he had to do. To create the life that he's always wanted i think it's safe to assume that creating the life that he's always wanted wasn't easy though let's get into the episode so that we can hear straight from luis about his experience navigating professionalism and authenticity yo before we even get into the conversation i gotta acknowledge you got one of the best radio voiced voices i've ever heard <laughs> thank you sir thank you sir we i have an
0: ongoing joke about you know showing up in meetings and serving beard and baritone it's like I oh. gotta give the people what they want and i actually turned around and bought beardandbaritone.com just to make sure
1: you're lying no one takes it from kid you not we got a vision we got a vision yo yo you know it's <laughs> funny like i typically listen to the whole podcast episode and then find what the title is gonna be already got it <laughs> dude you should do like voiceovers for like Audible, like you should go pitch authors to like just read their books. You know, you're not the first person to say that to me. I, you,
0: if I can squeeze another hour out of my 24, then we'll figure it out. That's that's the part I got
1: to work on to make I, that happen. I just you know, I just think you got to prioritize. Yeah, go that's yeah. You yeah. know, it's funny. Like I've gotten that too, but I always get offended because I'm just like, oh, word, I got a voice or radio, but what I, I don't got a face for YouTube. Like nobody tells me that. <laughs> <laughs> but you you one of those you might have both bro you might have both <laughs> i appreciate you
0: i appreciate your armando listen i i'm here for it from your lips all the way up if this is what my calling is then let's let's get these microphones popping
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean that that might be a future endeavor but I, i've been excited to chat with you because you know speaking of your calling you've been been in the tech game for for a minute um mm. and worked for like a few notable companies so i'm really curious to get your experience in the topics that we talk about, which is professionalism versus authenticity. So Mm -hmm. let's start with the word authenticity, such a buzzword. But when you think about it, what comes to mind for you? What does it mean to you? You know, authenticity, I think is pretty
0: parallel with integrity. It's a matter of showing up and, you know, making sure that what you think and what you say and what you do are aligned. But I think the matter of authenticity also requires an element of courage, right? When we think about, particularly, the topic at hand of showing up authentically in spaces where we aren't traditionally welcomed, right? Ooh, that's energia que tenemos que, like, really muster up to be able to show up that aligned. And so I think authenticity
1: is an energy expenditure and a commitment to truth. Wow. Courageous and an energy expenditure. I'm wow. curious for you, were you all, always courageous? And I'm thinking back, like even growing up, like would people describe you as a, as a courageous child? Wow, um, no, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was a nerdy kid. I was a bit of a loner. I was that kid who hung out in the New York Public Library because I was the only you know, gay, light-skinned boy in the projects, everyone was coming up after me. So I found my refuge in books. And in those books, I was able to spend time far, far away from my physical environment, right, getting immersed in faraway lands or different times. And books became my 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 shield. Right. Um, and and, you know, my my shield, my armor and, and everything in between. But I, you reminded me of a story, uh, an incident when I was much younger. My my dad really tried to push me to stand up for myself. like you can't go through life running to the library you can't find refuge in these things you've got to face these people head on and there was an incident where i got pushed off the swings by these kids in the neighborhood you know dropping the f-bomb because i was that little little queer kid in the project right um and uh, i came back crying and don't you know my dad took the 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 broom and he unscrewed you know the 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 broom from the stick he gave me the stick and he said, you go confront them and you get back on that swing. And that was the earliest instance that I can think of, of speaking up for myself and acting out of a place of, you know, courage to make sure that I could get what I wanted, which was a seat on that swing. Cause I was there first.
1: Wow. And you know, here we are, everyone's talking about a seat at, at the table, <laughs> but you just wanted to get a seat on the swing. <laughs>
0: I just wanted to be a happy kid. You know, it's a happy and safe kid like anyone else.
1: That's, that's deep man. And in particular too, cause you know, I think you talk about growing up in the projects and you know, you haven't necessarily disclosed disclosed where the projects are, but you know, we have similarities mm-hmm. in that sense of like growing up in the projects in New York city and yeah. I didn't grow up in the Bronx, but I went to high school, like not too far from where you grew up. Shout out to Cardinal Hayes, right? South Bronx. That's what's up. Tell me a little bit about what that was like growing up in the projects in the South Bronx and also, also would love for you to get into you've referenced a few different times, being that light-skinned, queer boy I think you mentioned mm-hmm. um, in there. Um, what was that like, too?
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So for context, my You're family- You're like, damn, we, we going to start there? That's let's what go. Start. I'm like, do I owe you a copay after this? This is how I usually <laughs> get down with my therapist, right? No, I'm just kidding. So not kidding about mental health, but like, <laughs> but uh, to take a step back, my family and I are from Puerto Rico. I was born on the island. And I like to say that I was abducted at a young age because- the food was good, the music was good, the people are pretty, you know what I mean? Why would you take me away from this place? Um, So I was abducted and brought to the Bronx because my family wanted me to learn English and go to school. And we came from a very small town where like my mom didn't have access to education. She didn't have access to healthcare. She had to drive an hour to give birth to me, (laughs) right? Like She went into labor and had to endure that, right? That is the reality of the context of that. So. You know there was that dream of like we're gonna show up in New York, we're gonna do it, right? We ended up in public housing. I went to public school, I shout out to Forest Houses, that's where I grew up. Um, and that that experience and that backdrop also in the context of the Bronx in the 80s and 90s. Right. Let's talk about Reaganism. Let's talk about you know AIDS. Let's talk about everything that was transpiring on those streets with those gangs, etc. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that is the backdrop that I grew up in. And you know, I also am white presenting, right? My family, however black they are, however caramelo and brown and everything else in between they might be. I show up, and this is who I am, and this is how people see me and receive me. And you know, I had to grow up in that context and find refuge on a couple of different levels because everyone wanted me, you know, I was a chubby kid. You should be playing football, right? You should be playing basketball, but I was the gay boy. They wanted to play double Dutch with the black girls on the other side of the park, right? Like, And and that's where I found my happiness, right? And, and, and that was what I learned at a very early age is like, I, I don't need to necessarily do what I'm told or be pushed in this direction, right? But I also have to be in willing to confront, you know, that that friction of trying to show up of as my whole self. But it was really important for me just to be happy. Right. Like I just wanted to mind my business. I was, again, just this introverted kid trying to find his way. And uh yeah, that was me playing handball, playing double dutch
1: and hiding in the library. <laughs> wow. It's interesting the the reference of the library as well, because I think these days. When people talk about like escaping life if you will to this other universe a lot of talk is spoken about like the web 3 and like getting a Mm. vr headset but i've got a bunch of friends that one of my best friends actually is is a huge he's really into books like he reads a book a week type of stuff right Mm -hmm. and i've always been jealous of that because i'm not a big reader i mean thankfully now because of audio i feel like i can experience the same things that that he was going through in the sense of like having a certain experience in life and then diving into someone else's story and -hmm. getting sort of like outside of your story right um so yeah i i love that you're you're into reading and and that was your escape i'm wondering for you growing up too like what sort of books were you reading what were you into um
0: wow I was reading the Chronicles of Narnia, like first, second grade, and the context for that is Spanish is my first language, right? So Mm -hmm. going into pre-K and into kindergarten, I had a thick accent. So, you know, I was that chubby queer kid with the accent, getting picked on, et cetera. So I developed an anxiety about speaking English well and, and pronouncing my words the way Americanos would, right? And so I started, funny enough, uh training my ear using audio cassettes so i i my mom one of the first things that she gave me when i was a young kid was a box set of dr seuss books with tapes Mm -hmm. and i would read them out loud and mimic you know the white lady narrating over and over and over again until you know i got to a place where I develop a confidence for speaking well, and I also develop a confidence for reading. And I started reading bigger books, longer words, more pages. And I started developing an appetite for really thick books and novels. Um, so I was reading Tolkien by the third grade, right? And I ended up scoring really, really high on a state exam to the point where they questioned whether I cheated on the exam because I scored so high. It was a wow. communications or like English exam or something like that, yeah. And so, yeah, books were, um, again, my my shield and my sword on many levels. Right. And then helping to equip me with the things that I needed to, in many ways, adapt and assimilate. Right. Like we can go there and we can have that conversation. I was trying to find ways of connecting with people through common ground along the way, shifting
1: you know, and adapting new aspects of my identity in that yes. regard. Tell me yeah. a little bit. Tell me a little bit more about that because some people read books to to your point, like escapes. Some people use it to learn. For mm-hmm. me, like I didn't really enjoy reading books until I started reading Junot Diaz. And mm-hmm. for me, the reason why I, why I enjoyed it because I always felt like I had to carry a dictionary when I was reading books. But that yeah. was the first time where I was like, oh shit, this is relatable. Like it was the yeah. first time where I saw yo in in a book, yeah. and I was like, oh shit, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and I felt seen and heard for the first time. But for you, it sounds like reading and books was so much more than just feel, feeling seen. Like you said, it helped you assimilate? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Like I, you know, I, my parents still speak English with a thick accent, right? They don't speak English with as much fluency as I do. Um, and I had to figure out ways of succeeding at school, right? Like, cause that was the thing that was also ingrained in me at a young age. I am the first born of the first generation on my mom's side of the family, second on my dad's side of the family. Um, that didn't grow up in La Finca, right? I wasn't cultivating the land. I wasn't picking platanos and coffee and things that the rest of my family did to make a living. And so it was ingrained in me, you make a living either using your head or your hands. You choose. And so, you know, I saw like, you know, the more books I read, the better my English. The more I learn, the more conversation I can have, the more relatable I am, the, the more you know favoritism I get from the teachers, right? Because education was ingrained in
1: me as, as the path out of the situation that we were in. Yeah, and then you start acing these exams. I'm sure people start telling you, oh my God, you're so well-spoken. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, like in some ways, I'm sure some of those compliments were 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 good to hear i'm assuming right because you worked so hard to quote unquote get rid of that like thick accent and sound more american and sound educated and all these things right so when you started getting some of those accolades how did that feel double-edged sword i feel
0: like the more i have worked on um preparing myself for success in american corporate setting the more distant i've become culturally from the places where I was born and grew up, right? I'm presently in Northern California. And now the world has shifted and changed. But when I entered the tech world, you had to be here to get in and fit in. And that meant being in the context of California, you know, very distant from the Puerto Rican, Dominican, West Indian, West African communities that I grew up in, right? I can't get my oxtail on demand here, right? (laughs) I'm lucky if I can find green platanos when I go to the market, they're all machucao by the time I get there, right? Like, and forget it, when I have a craving for pasteles, like finding the platano leaves and the papers and the things that I need to roll them up, also a challenge, right? When I walk down these streets, I don't hear salsa, I don't hear house, I don't hear reggaeton, right? Those are the contributions of my people and my ancestors, but you wouldn't know that in California. And so I show up in this place where, you know, in order to thrive and be in a position to provide for the family, to send money back to Puerto Rico after every hurricane and earthquake and everything else that comes up, right? I need to be here moving and shaking and hobnobbing with people that are very different than me, don't have the context for how I grew up or where I grew up. And in many ways, I have to find ways of influencing them and getting them to see me as just another relatable human being who was just out here trying to thrive, right, that I have to find ways of finding that common denominator with people.
1: Tell me about yeah. how you found some of those ways to find a common denominator, I'm assuming mm. all of those books you read helped you out. But <laughs> in, in what other ways or situations have you been in where you were like, Oh, my I'm not relatable, but I need to be relatable. And then just the thought process around how you do it. Yeah, I think earlier in my career, when I just
0: wanted to come up and be respected, I would, you know, give in to, oh, your favorite Justin Bieber song is this, oh, that's cool. I like this other song he did with someone else. Oh, by the way, have you heard of Bad Bunny? (laughs) (laughs) Have you heard of Mark Anthony? Um, do you know La India? Like, let me put you onto something new.
1: (laughs) Oh, right. Like La India is top three for me. Of course. She legend. She like speaks to my
0: soul. Yeah. She's out here. She's out here for us. Um, so, you know, part of it is like, yeah, you have to kind of like find a common denominator, get that interest, get that person's ear and then start to be yourself. And I've reached a point in my life and in my career where I don't filter that anymore. I actually don't care to fit in. I don't care if you get me, right? Because at the end of the day, it isn't about who's right, it's about what's right when we're doing business. Mm-hmm. Look at these numbers and look at everything else that I'm running. You don't need to understand that I'm bilingual. You don't need to understand the complexities of my gay identity in order to understand that there's money on the table, right? That's the first thing that I pointed the attention to. Yeah. Then I look at all the ways that my perspective can influence conversations, you know i'll mention the elephant in the room i'll bring up the consideration that hasn't been considered I call out when there are an indigenous or black people in the room, making decisions that they should be involved in right. Mm -hmm. With no concern about being fired or othered or anything else because i've had so many experiences where. I did the assimilation thing. I was the good boy. I was the good Latin boy. I was the good Latin gay boy. I was the good diversity hire. I was whatever you needed me to be, you know, cause I was so grateful for the opportunity and the seat at the table and you still came after me. Yeah. You still threw daggers at my back. You still pulled the rug from under my feet. You still disrespected me. And so now you're gonna look at my numbers and you're gonna hear what I have to say and you're going to decide in 2022 if you pick up what i put down or not because i'm going to continue moving in this direction. I know what excellence is and it looks a lot more like you and i in this conversation than the other interactions that i've had. And so i've i've reached a point of being unapologetically
1: authentic. Yo, that is exactly what happened to me. I was like, "Yo, i'm wasting so much time." doing research on like Mm -hmm. literally developing like scripts almost like plays if you will I'm like oh I'm gonna say this they're gonna respond that I'm gonna take this conversation that way and like I was like yo all this work that I'm doing I'm still getting hit with the disrespect why like if I'm gonna get hit with the disrespect at least let me be myself with it yeah um talk to me a little bit about some of those disrespectful and you know just conflicting moments where even with you assimilating, you were still getting hit with what some people would say microaggressions or racism mm-hmm. or w- whatever that conflict was with that professionalism versus authenticity.
0: Yeah. I mean, oof, it wasn't so micro at times, but let's set the context. It wasn't it was so micro. micro. It wasn't so micro. Yes. It was in my face. It was in everyone's face. It mm-hmm. was toxic as fuck. Um, so context, I out of school, you know, first generation, first to go to college, first to graduate high school, like first to like get a high school diploma in my house, my household, right? Wow. So of course the anxiety of like, ooh, I gotta be a doctor or a lawyer or a business person if I'm gonna make it out here, right? So I started college, I was on that whole pre-med tip, bored out of my mind sitting in these labs. I was like, I'm, I'm done. I see everybody out in the quad you know, jumping around, rolling around. I'm like, I want that college experience. You know what I mean? Like let's <laughs> let's switch up this major. So then I went from doing the pre-med thing to doing the pre-law thing. And I got out of college and I worked in a nonprofit as a paralegal. And then I worked as an assistant um, to the honorable uh, Margarita Lopez Torres. She was the first Latina, first woman elected to the bench in surrogates court in, in, in Brooklyn. Wow. In Kings County, it was such an honor to serve her all the years that I did. And during that time, I started law school part time. Wow! Ooh, I was bored out of my mind. Ooh, and you did. <laughs> and you did this because you thought that's what your family wanted. Well, I thought that's what it meant to be successful. Doctor mm. Mm, didn't like it. Lawyer, yeah, you know, I got a mouth on me. I could definitely, <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely argue for and and speak on somebody's behalf, my own behalf, when I need to, right? I'm also definitely good with the words. I can read and, and, and synthesize information very quickly. I can certainly write and produce decrees quickly, too, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was a matter of, uh, I was a sociology major in college. And you know, for me, it was a matter of uh, applying my education to give back, mm-hmm. right? I think that's the other thing that's really ingrained in us, whether it's being, you know, growing up in poverty, growing up in New York, being Caribeño, whatever it is, we don't move up without bringing people with us. Right. And yeah. for me, it was a matter of like trying to find a place where I could utilize the privilege that I've acquired and amassed, you know, getting an education and applying that education to, to serve. Um, I burned out in that process, I was unhappy. But and also the reality of being first generation when there are hurricanes and earthquakes and all kinds of things impacting your family is oh, I couldn't live on a nonprofit salary, I couldn't live on the government salary and pay off these loans and be a provider. And mm-hmm. also somehow in that mix try to have a life for myself, right? Like mm. I'm I'm cute and single. I'm out in New York. You know, I want my own place. I want to bring the cuties back. and say, hey. you know what I mean? you need cash flow to live that kind of life in New York. Max. And, and, and the reality is that the work that I was doing was not sustainable. I was also surrounded by, you know, lots of white women married to affluent men who could do that work because they had a partner working with them in tandem. And so when I had that veil lifted of like, oh, I'm out here by myself and I have nothing to like really hang on to. So I can like really do this work in a meaningful way. I don't got the man. I don't got the trust fund. I don't got the nothing to fall back on. It was time to pivot. So not the doctor, not the lawyer. Could I be the business person? And that's when someone approached me, one of my best friends, she was working in the marketing department at WebMD. She's like, yo, she's like, you don't know it, but you got that gift. Mm -hmm. You know, you can just step into a room and command it. I wonder if sales might be the path for you. And I know it's at odds with like your whole campaign to try to save the world, but you got to put your mask on first when the plane is going down. Oof that was real. Yeah, that was real, right? Like, it's I think that there is a real sense of responsibility to our communities and our families. But we also have to recognize especially being first gen and and, and blazing a trail, whatever that might look like for your own lived experience. Mm-hmm. You got to be in a good place to take good care of yourself. Or you're not gonna make it you're not gonna do anything for nobody. You're not gonna be ready for that hurricane or whatever else comes down the line.
1: Yeah, and a lot of that is uh, I mean, I don't want to say like it's not all about money, but financial security helps with the decisions that you make for you and your family. So, you know, sales careers and the sales path is is a well paid path, especially depending on the on the company that you work at. Like, yeah, you you could be really secure financially. Yeah, listen, you know, we talked about trying to be the doctor and
0: the lawyer and the business person. Now I go on dates with doctors and lawyers. I'm like, ooh. My check is looking cuter than yours, and you're the with the Harvard MBA. What's up? <laughs> right? You just kind of have to, in the process, right? I think there's leaning on the theme of authenticity. You got to be real about what you're up against. You got to be real about what your capacity is. And you also have to be real about, like, what it is that drives you and at the end of the day i was always driven by my connection my capacity to connect with people right i am an introvert and i do you know need to recharge and oh, i get tired i get tired especially after conferences and things like that like i need to like sit in the room and have a quiet meal to myself and then get back into the vibe right but i still am fueled by connecting with people and helping people and seeing aha moments and bringing you know different connectors together right And I had to figure that that space out. So I welcomed this advice of maybe you should explore sales. I went in, I knew nothing about advertising sales. I knew nothing about tech or software or corporate for that matter. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Eight interviews later, later, they offered me a job. And I started on the sales support side of the whole experience, helping the Mm. account executive look real cute, And then when I got tired of the account executive, making all the money for all the work that I was doing, I eventually moved up in ranks and became an account executive myself while I was working at the BBC. They had just opened their North American headquarters and I was one of the OGs on that sales team. And so that was the context for, before I got to Silicon Valley, I'm working in advertising sales in New York. Talk about hypermasculine, sexist, misogynistic, racist, homophobic, like I had bosses that today would not have jobs, right? And in the context of everything going on in this world now, they would definitely not have gotten away with it. And as much as I reported, spoke up, spoke out, spoke against these things, I was all the way disrespected and diminished. And so the value proposition, right, of making that jump to the West Coast, show up in Silicon Valley was, you had companies like LinkedIn and Google, places that I've had the privilege of working. I was recruited to these companies after showing up. The promise was I could be my whole self. I could be the Puerto Rican. I can be the boy from the Bronx. I could be the gay boy. I could be left-handed. I could be chubby, bearded, whoever I was, because what was the focus or the promise was my contribution, and in fact, They wanted me to be my whole self so that I could influence the design of products and customer experiences, so that people who come from my backgrounds could also have good experiences. And that promise was not fulfilled.
1: That was going to be my question. It was going to be was that promise fulfilled? And that resonates with me a ton, because that's why I wanted to work for those big tech companies was for Mm -hmm. that same reason um and i think your experience in particular is interesting because you not only have to deal with your coworkers and what that promises with your co-workers but they want you to be your authentic self at all times right you're in sales you mm. have to be authentic with your clients supposedly Ooh. right so when you say that that promise wasn't fulfilled tell me about that experience wow gosh on so many levels first
0: of all i'm working with leaders who have never engaged with people at uh, as intersectional as i am right mm-hmm. they don't They don't get why it's such a big deal that me being a first generation gay puerto rican from the south bronx is monumental right for me to like have that seat at the table and that kind of influence they don't know how to relate and connect with me right so i had to do the code switching oh you like journey yeah i like that song too it's one of my karaoke jams yeah sure
1: right Oh my God! We can have a whole episode on karaoke Ooh. nights.
0: Oh, child! <laughs> oh,
1: I feel like I avoid them now. Okay,
0: like that. Yeah. I, I avoid them now.
1: Um, <laughs>
0: but you know, it was it was. Uh, you know, I had to, um, you know, find ways of of navigating and connecting with people who didn't quite get me, mm. and at every turn, you know, found me to be the difficult one. Mm.
1: Because is that, is that something that you were told, or is that something? all the time that you were difficult
0: oh yeah i was definitely reminded and told outright that you know i was too forward i was too direct in my communication um you know i could tone it down a bit my shirt was a bit too loud for that meeting your shirt oh yeah apparently pink is too loud of a color in some settings even though it's a naturally occurring color in nature interesting Right. And, you know, so that was the experience of being an executive in these settings was depending on who I was reporting to, whether they had the cultural intelligence to manage people that were different than them or not, determined the quality of my experience in the organization. But then you brought up the matter of customers, (laughs) right? And I worked with, you know, many Fortune 500 C level executives who also were not culturally intelligent. And so they could never pronounce my four letter name. I was Louis, I was Lewis, but I was never Luis. And if I insisted on being called Luis, if I reminded people that my name is Luis, I'm hard to work with. I'm adding too much friction to the relationship.
1: Oh, and you're gay. Mm, can we have another rep? customers have literally told you or like told your manager let's have another rep they've told
0: me to my face they've told managers right and then that creates all kinds of red flags and all kinds of things because let's contextualize this right i'm having these experiences i'm entering the tech sector the a the the year was 2012 right this is this boom is happening and this is around the time that all these big companies were starting to disclose what their numbers were behind closed doors relative to their diversity equity and inclusion metrics Mm -hmm. and that's when everyone came to terms with oh y'all don't hire or proactively look for indigenous people black people gay people queer people to work for you right and that was the moment of, of of reckoning For the industry, but the 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 solutions weren't quite there, right? The support systems weren't there. Everyone wanted to have these excellent and successful case studies to demonstrate to their HR leaders. Oh, look at the these are the channels that we explored for talent acquisition. This is the effectiveness and role in the first ninety days. This is participation and employer resource groups and all of these things, right? But when I come to the table and I say, oh, I've got a customer requesting another executive because they have a problem with me being gay, that interrupts the progress and the momentum behind all of these metrics that they're trying to deliver about, oh, look at how much better we're doing, right? How do we solve for showing investors that we're doing good while also trying to put out this fire internally
1: so it doesn't get out of control? wow it's real tell me more about that experience but more so from your standpoint i'm curious in that situation i think at least going through my head i would have a few different scenarios that i can do right Mm -hmm. um even in so there's there's even in the name example right in that scenario you could have said oh louie (laughs) ha ha yeah call you can call me louie and i I've done that before. Mm-hmm. I've, I've gone through, yes, you can call me Louie for maybe 10 times and maybe yeah. on the 11th time it took me, I was like, no, you know what? It's Pavel or it's Pavel, right? Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Talk to me about the first time where you were just like, no, you know what? That's fine. Yeah. Call me Louie. And then when did you get the confidence to be like, no, I want a seat on that swing set came in yeah. there with your, which are broom, let's call it, but not not yeah. literally, but you you know what I mean? Yeah. For
0: me, it was when I got my uh, account executive title. That's when I, you know, no one got away with mis- mispronouncing my name, right? At that point in my career, yo me había comido y tragado toda la mierda of like doing all the work for other people to shine, mm. and now I had the title and I earned it. So this is my name. My name is Luis, and now that I have this title, I will always be an executive i will always make this money right and so now i don't have to worry about ruffling feathers and looking like the good little gay latin boy who's super eager and super hungry for his shot because i got my shot and i got my title with the disrespect
1: it's kind of like a validation and the validation helped you let go of some fear of like yeah. you know if i get fired like I'm an account executive. I can get another right? job as an account executive. Honey, I'm going
0: to make this money anywhere else, right? Like, that's just the thing. It's like, when you, especially in sales, yeah. right? When you reach a certain level, you just don't come back down. Mm-hmm. And I was very aware of the kind of income and the kind of influence and the kind of pull that having an executive title would give you, mm-hmm. right? And at that point, I had power in my career, in my title, right? And And that's when I stopped bowing down and being the good little boy because at that point, my job was to be the hunter, right? Mm -hmm. I had to be the capitalist, the aggressor. I had numbers to hit targets to hit, whether you liked pronouncing my name or not, we got work to do because you have a boss to answer to. And so do I.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent and it's, it's unfortunate, too, because even talking about some of them, some of those experiences, like I have had guests on the podcast say that, well, they, they said that they self identify as queer, but going mm-hmm. into corporate spaces, they didn't receive the same comment that you got, whereas like, I don't want to work with this person, but because they mm-hmm. they're queer, before they even get that comment what they have done is they said that um, they hide their feminine side visibly. Yeah, so they choose to, I'm, you know, and this this has been examples that you know, they choose to show a more traditional masculine representation of what a yeah. quote unquote man is supposed to look like, right? So um, so that they don't receive some of that feedback, right? Yeah. I'm curious for you in some of those instances. Did you ever think, quote unquote, let me tone it down or let me be a little bit more quote unquote masculine presenting so that. Because although you're an account executive, there has to be some fear in there, right? Like, not only are you an account executive, but you work for, like, a tech company that everyone wants to be at. Yeah. What were some of those emotions and anxieties that were going through your head at that time? Yeah, that's an excellent question. As you're asking this question, I'm actually
0: trying to think back, like, was there ever a time where I wasn't cognizant about the way that I was presenting relative mm. to masculinity? Yeah. The answer is no, because like, let's mm. take it all the way back, like trying to be in the peas, trying to survive, you know, this like hyper-masculine world, I had to tone it down in some instances because literally my life depended on it, Yeah. right? And earlier in my career, before I had the titles that commanded the kind of you know money and 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 respect that I you know I had to tone it down right. Wow. I had to find a way of assimilating and fitting in and being relatable and being liked, so that people looked at me and 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 considered me for that promotion. Oh, he is, you know, relatable enough to put in front of customers. He's obedient enough to trust him, right? And that's, that's the reality of getting in the game, right? And I had to figure out how to negotiate that outside of my corporate life, right? On weekends, you know, I'm, I'm Luis, I'm Luisito, I'm Osito, you know, I'm out at the boy bars, you know, and if I feel like femming it up, then so be it, because that's my mood and that's my vibe. And this is my space to be safe. This is my family, my tribe, right? I don't need to code switch for your ass. You're in my sandbox now yeah right. Now that I'm further up in my career, now that I'm in the global sort of position in my career, yeah. now it's like, listen i I have to bring all aspects of my intersectionality to what I do because it's how I now create gain credibility, influencing teams around the world. yeah right. So when I talk about my ancestry hailing from three different continents mm-hmm. and intersecting in the Caribbean, And when I then, you know, contextualize growing up on an island versus growing up in the concrete jungle, right? And then doing the bi-coastal thing, and then traveling the world, right? This is now my credibility, whereas before, you know, it was my perceived uh, disability, if you will, or handicap in the process of trying to thrive in, you know, the, the the kind of
1: structures that we're up against. Yeah, that the word you said that literally gave me goosebumps is enough. It's mm. kind of like he's tolerable, you know, mm. he's yeah. Um, I hear that often and it's so unfortunate, but it makes sense though. Your story around you've felt like you had to tone it down for so long, whereas like now I'm I'm done toning it down. Yeah, and I'm sure. Maybe this is just me making up a story in my head, but I'm sure that because of the authentic and unapologetic person that you have become, I'm assuming that people feel comfortable being themselves because you feel comfortable being yourself, right? Like it's I'm so assuming, much more productive. And I'm assuming in some way, like people DM you or message you on the side, it was like you you give me permission to be myself. Like, do you get some of that feedback?
0: I do, and I have to say, you know, I used to really shy away when people would give me that kind of feedback, right? Because like, I'm just doing what needs to be done.
1: Right. right.
0: I, I And I'm also just out here trying to survive and survival has been my MO all those years and still yeah. is, right? And now I get that feedback and, and for me, I embrace them as like these gentle reminders to continue to do this work and to continue to speak up and to continue to show up the way that I do. Um, because to your point, I see people around me now thriving And having more confidence and speaking more directly and saying what needs to be said in meetings for customers, et cetera, when I do the same. Right. So I set the tone and other people lean into that. And for me, I also have to take a step back and kind of recognize like, coño, like, hemos llegado. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, for a very long time, you know, I always wanted a leader that did X, Y, or Z. And now I am that leader doing X, Y, and Z and creating the kind of environment around me where everyone else can thrive. And my hope as I continue down this path is to influence more and more people to bring that heat, bring that saison, bring that flavor because we need it. Oh, these these meetings are boring otherwise, child. Like I need you. (laughs) I need you
1: bringing it for real. (laughs) A hundred percent. I say... I say, like you know, like you know, I always say, like I, I try to be, I'm, I'm trying to become the representation that I wish I had when I was younger. <sighs> you know what I mean? Yes. So that, again, it's all about that permission because that, that visual representation is important because it gives us that, like, oh, if they're doing it, I could do it. So to wrap up the conversation, we'd love to ask you this final question: like, what's one thing that continues to inspire and empower you to continue being your most authentic self?
0: I've realized, and this is going to sound arrogant, but it's just, I've realized my own power
1: mm-hmm.
0: and my own divinity and my own capacity. And now when I think about what's next, it's all about amplification, right? This world needs more Pavel and Luises in rank. What does that look like? How does it come together? We're not here with, you know, the 30 slide deck on that, right? That's not what this is about, but that's that's where this this is where I'm I'm headed. This is the work that I'll be doing moving forward in my career. It is no longer about me because I secured the bag. I flew around the world first class. I saw all the pretty things. I had all the nice meals. I loved all the most beautiful men around this world. Like I have done me. Right, my family is safe. Right, we have what we need. Y ahora qué más? Because where I started my journey was trying to figure out how to apply my privilege to get more privilege for other people, and I've not lost sight of that. And now is at a I've reached a point where I'm good. I got what I wanted. You know, los billes se pagaron. And now, now, now I need to think about more than just myself. That is the call to action for me.
1: Mi there. that wraps up this week's episode of the Kim Duetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you and see you next week.